from coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Charlotte Thomason, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of Environmental Radio. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated here on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. We ask you to consider your connection to this land and how you are challenging the colonial systems of oppression in place as part of your treaty obligations. We all have a role to play in the relationship that is treaty. This episode is part one of a two-part mini-series on youth in the climate crisis. If you grew up like me in rural Alberta, you probably don't remember learning about the indisputable fact that humans are perpetuating climate change, or ways in which we could make a difference. I didn't even know a degree in environmental science existed until after I started university. Turns out, it wasn't just me not paying attention, and lack of climate education is a systemic problem. According to research done by Seth Wines and Kimberly Nicholas, climate science education in Alberta falls short, and we are not even close to the worst province. Has the Canadian education system failed us, and is it still failing youth today? The paper published earlier this year by Seth Wines and Kimberly Nicholas analyzes and grades the current curricula in each of the Canadian provinces and territories. I came across this paper while reading an article by the Narwhal, and upon reading the paper, the results were not good. Since education is provincial jurisdiction, 13 provinces and territories in Canada have vastly different curriculum requirements on what students need to know about climate change. Only Saskatchewan teaches that climate change is collectively recognized by experts as an ongoing threat. Manitoba, on the other hand, provided reading materials from climate change denier groups, framing the issue as a polarizing debate among scientists. Most curricula actually encouraged a debate about the science of climate change, despite the fact that climate change is not debatable. All of the 928 peer-reviewed papers the authors looked at all agreed that anthropogenic sources are the main drivers of climate change. Here in Alberta, climate science is only taught in non-mandatory courses, and there is no focus on how we can mitigate climate change. The worst provinces, however, were Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, which basically only have a section on climate and no curriculum focus on the fact that it is human-caused and that it's a threat to ecological and anthropocentric livelihoods. More than half of the provinces and territories did not include any mention of how to mitigate climate change or what needs to change in order to make a difference. To me, this sounds like a failure of the education system in Canada. We are now going to hear Sonic Patel and Elizabeth Dowdell reflect on their own personal schooling experiences and discuss their opinions on gaps in the state of climate education in Canada. Hi, I'm Sonic Patel. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Dowdell. Uh, Taryn Formers here having a discussion about our experiences with climate change education. I guess for context, I was in grade school. I graduated grade 12 in 2014. 
And I graduated from grade 12 in 2005. I was nine years old when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was a recent article in the Narwhal that commented on uh, Alberta and Canada's climate change curriculum at the secondary school level, so for junior high and high school students. And we thought this was an interesting piece because we're really seeing young people leading this climate movement, but what are they being taught and how out of date is curriculum? And this got us casting our memories back to what did we even learn? When did we become aware of the climate crisis and at what point did it become something that was a priority to us to the point where, as Terran Formos, we've made our way to this show? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess the first question, then, Sonic, when did you become aware of climate change? Can you remember? I remember in high school, in science class, learning the um, greenhouse gas effect and the way that greenhouse gases can bounce solar radiation. And um, I think at the time, just getting some basic information about how human-produced greenhouse gases could increase the greenhouse effect. I don't ever recall learning about the scale of the threat of climate change and what that could actually mean beyond just a general global heating. Um, in your experience, do you, like, were you aware of the greenhouse effect in, in high school? I was thinking about this this morning and... Like, what did I even learn in my high school science classes? And I don't know. I don't remember. I feel like I learned, I remember my bio and my chem and my physics. And mm-hmm. I feel like I learned more about so many other things. I remember more about the digestive system and, like, dissecting small animals than I do about oh, no. ever learning about climate and biology, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, chemistry, I feel like all I learned about was acids and bases. Like, this is yeah. all I really remember. And physics was all... Okay, I distinctly remember this, like, blue workbook solving equations for, like, cathode and anode rays for, like, an old TV and thinking, wow, this was probably a really cool workbook in 1970, but this is not exciting technology anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what I remember from my, my high school science courses. So, no, like, climate change, maybe as a, you know, one of those teacher peers projects where you all mm-hmm. present, someone might have been interested in it, but I can't really recall. I know... Like the greenhouse gases must have been in there somewhere and like the the biosphere and the yeah. lithosphere and the stratosphere and, you know. No, but I, I don't think in my, uh, my secondary education that it really came up. I distinctly remember in, in grade 10, our science class, um, having four units, each of the three core sciences, chemistry, physics, and biology. And then climate was the last one. And mm-hmm. I remember we ran out of time so we did all the climate section in three weeks Mm. and i was really upset because it was a big portion of our final but but what i especially find interesting and i suppose somewhat concerning from a curriculum perspective is regardless of how much climate change makes its way into our science courses i have no recollection of it ever making its way into our um, social studies which is a substantial component of course of how we're going to respond to the climate crisis um nor really into the other of the, I guess, main humanity courses of, of English. We don't really talk about climate communication or uh, how that has worked its way into modern-day culture or literature. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, that these places these places that should be the forums for discussing climate change, like the science is settled. 
why are we looking for climate education in science? Yeah, you should get those foundations, but it really is those humanities courses, your social studies and your English, that you're going to grapple with climate change. And I think there's so much great climate change fiction that tries to imagine, you know, a climate crisis future, like our hothouse earth future, and is one incredible way to really explore what this means for, for, for you know, us as a society. Uh, and then, yeah, in our social studies, where it is a major political issue, right? Like we've got Elections Canada this year saying, oh, climate change is maybe a partisan issue, maybe not. Maybe you have to register as a third party to talk about climate change. Uh, so why is that not a part of your social studies curriculum? Yeah, and for our Alberta listeners, you're probably aware that under the previous NDP government, there was a curriculum review and um, update that has since been um, sent back to the drawing board to, I guess, go through that process again with the change in government. And one of the concerns is how much ideology has made its way into the curriculum review. And I do find that interesting from a social um, a social studies and science perspective of, you know, climate change is a scientific threat and it does have its basis in significant earth science, but it is also a political issue and it is an economic issue. And so how do we find a way to address it across all of those dimensions that are going to be pivotal for uh, addressing climate, the climate crisis in the future? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for having confidence in your instructors as well to navigate that, your teachers, right? That uh, some teachers do make that decision to bring climate change into the classroom in as many ways as they can and into curriculum in as many ways as possible. When we talk about ideology in the classroom, what I do remember from my high school science classes is going to a Catholic high school and having a conversation about the continuum of thought between uh, creationism and evolution and being essentially taught both and given sort of that caveat that we're not going to tell you what to believe we're just going to say, here's two ranges of thought and what they mean. Uh, that's at least how my biology instructor, uh, my biology teacher back in 2005, dealt with that. But so politics are always in the classroom and has always, like, always been in the classroom. So to use that as a, an excuse to sort of delay a curriculum update when it's so, like our curriculum in Alberta is so out of date, uh, seems kind of, well, it's very weak and it's very political and mm-hmm. whatever. The other thought piece I thought was very interesting from the Narwhal article is the um, grades that they assign to the curriculums are based off of a curriculum review, but it's not based off of what's actually being taught in classrooms. Uh, this is kind of tangential, but I just dis- very distinctly remember one of my social studies teachers coming in in like the first month in, in September and saying, I don't like the curriculum, so here's what I'm going to teach you instead. <laughs> so I also think we need to be aware of, you know, what we institute as a top-down level policy in terms of curriculum and also how that actually filters its way into into the class and how our teachers are teaching this concept. Because I think that can make a huge difference in, in what actually gets taught and what actually gets learned. Like, there's a lot of freedom. Like, you can't control that. You can't control the thousands and thousands and thousands of teachers in every classroom. While you can provide guidelines like you, you really can't control that sort of human behavior yeah I think there needs to there needs to be a greater focus on bringing those like teachers to that conversation and having them be engaged with you know how do they want to talk about this issue and what do they think is important to learn um, you know we can't dissociate teachers from their own individual biases and of course that'll happen and that'll come through and I think you and I and probably everyone else who's been through school has 
seen pretty substantial examples of teacher biases making their way into into what mm-hmm. we learn. I know a lot about Louis Riel mm-hmm. and the Mother of a Rebellion, and I know a lot about the French Revolution because those were some passions of my previous instructors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on a similar end, I could tell you a very extensive story about Gabriello Principe and the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, and I know <laughs> little to nothing about the indigenous history of Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely the case where teachers do choose their priorities. You know, I think on some level having a curriculum and, and having the kind of testing mechanism that we have of like standardized provincial-wide exams at, at certain places can help maintain a certain level of consistency in the classroom. Yeah, so I think an interesting question is, what what do you think we should have learned in school about the climate crisis? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you not know about climate change? And as, you know, two people who are engaged in environmentalism and who are um, part of climate change action and have been, you know, doing our own sort of research and investigation for a number of years, what are we still missing? And the answer was kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. so a lot of my undergraduate degree has been focused around issues of sustainability, both in earth science and in not earth sciences, <laughs> space sciences. No. Um, yeah, so from a scientific perspective, I wish there were, you know, I did learn about the greenhouse effect, but I wish there was more talk about what kind of work the IPCC had done to establish this idea that the climate crisis is occurring. And I wish we had talked more about, you know, what that large-scale climate cycle is, what these interglacial periods are, and, you know, how we've been using carbon isotopes and, and C14 and C13 concentrations to try and prove that it is from anthropogenic sources, how we've talked about, you know, how the interglacial periods have occurred and things like orbitals that, you know, establish both the mechanism for natural climate change, but it can also provide a substantial amount of evidence for uh, anthropogenic climate change. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think some people would consider this to be a political issue and a a warping of facts, but I think scientists would have a hard time disproving what has been published in those IPCC reports. And I I wouldn't consider really that information to be particularly particularly, uh, political. I think that is all fairly established science. And I think that would go a long way towards addressing one of the largest concerns about um, dealing with the climate crisis, which is that, is it a natural process or has it been affected by humans? Um, and I think in a lot of debates I've seen and and participated in, a lot of that comes from a lack of understanding of what kind of science has gone into establishing what we know about the climate crisis. So I'd love to see greater incorporation of those concepts into our science classes. Yeah, so I would agree completely that mm-hmm. some of those bigger um, geological processes and those, that longer-term history, having uh, a good even beginner or amateur grasp on it is something that I think a lot of people are missing, and I would completely agree. Yeah. And, like, I, I definitely think it is important to call out our limitations and to acknowledge, you know, our ice cores only go back this far, or, you know, mm-hmm. we don't actually know what caused this period of change in the past. It could have been this feedback loop, or it could have been this different one that ambiguity is definitely fair and like i think in any scientific concept you're going to find some level of uncertainty but i think that shouldn't prevent us from presenting that information and just mentioning like you know these are the limitations and these are the things that we don't know 
And this is how it could affect, you know, what we understand about the climate crisis and what we predict for it. But I still think providing that information is crucial. And mm -hmm. It's something I really wish I didn't have to go to university and take earth science courses that were outside of my program to learn about. I, I do think in high school, um, the way we talk about science is very based in positivism or this idea that there is a fully structured reality out there. And the purpose of science is to find that one singular reality and understand it. Yeah, and, that universal truth mm -hmm. that we can reveal if we yeah. test it enough. So I feel like I've spent a lot of times doing labs where I know how much titrant is supposed to cause a reaction. And the purpose of the lab is to do the experiment and get that correct amount. Mm -hmm. I think it's been highly focused on getting the correct result rather than establishing a rigorous methodology. And I think coming to post-secondary has been a real reversal of those those two systems. And it's been about how do you study something effectively regardless of what your results are and whether they confirm or deny a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. I also think that leads in really well to the kind of social side of of the climate crisis. You know, we've talked about how um, it, it's very, very difficult to provide generalized laws or explanations through science. And I think nowhere is that more true than the field of sociology with both <laughs> Elizabeth and I are, um, are part of and um, doing our master's in. You know, so much of our social structure is contextual and it's very def difficult to apply rules generally across the human race because so much of what we do is is social and culturally constructed. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'd like to see from a climate change perspective in, in our social sciences and social studies is, I guess, acknowledging some of the challenges with that are going to come with dealing with that kind of crisis and talking about, you know, concerns about things like free ridership or collective action that, for me, I really learned about in my economics courses, but I think has a greater place at a, at a high school level. I think economics in general deserves a bigger place um, in, in high school. But but yeah, talking about what are what are some of the social constraints with dealing with this ultimate like global threat, and what are some of the effective ways to to try and encourage that kind of collective action? And you know, what case studies from the past can we take a look at where we've done? I mean, obviously not the same thing, but kind of similar things. Things like the, I forgot they're called chlorofluorocarbons and um, I guess effects, I mean, not that long ago to try and reduce those globally to deal with the ozone crisis. Obviously very, very different from what we're going to have to deal with um, in terms of the climate crisis, but are, are really interesting examples of not only scientific, but social work to deal with major environmental problems at a global scale. Yeah, so I'm going to completely agree with the importance of digging deeper into some of the environmental policy in social studies and in, say, English classes, maybe some of our stories, right, some of our young adult fiction or our, our different sort of stories that we're telling young people um, and how they may be relevant or related to the climate crisis. And I think this is deeply important because, like, I think young people are looking for it too. So while we might be in our post-secondary studies, Kids in junior high and high school and younger are are hearing about climate change. It's on the news every day now, uh, even if it wasn't when we were in high school. And, like, they have questions. And this is something that I find really 
critically missing in most contexts. And so I had an opportunity to do some research with, with young people and ask them about this experience. And almost all of them remembered hearing about climate change and it started outside of school. It was something they heard about in their home. And these are these are young people. These are all teenagers. These are all kids, right? And they're hearing about these things, but they're not getting any education on it, right? It's not until that one elective class, maybe in high school with that one engaged instructor. Um, and there's a lot of fear and a lot of like stress and anxiety uh, that come with getting these kind of terrifying pronouncements daily and not being taught about it and not being engaged in it and I think that's a real shame because like students need that experience they Mm -hmm. need they need that knowledge right they need to know how to live within sort of cope and explore their reality and it it is it changes regularly what are the current events what are the contexts in which students are learning and which people are are going through this sort of education their standardized you know public education are relevant to what they're learning and to how they see the world and how they they shape it for themselves. So it is this like complete disservice to not engage with more of those um, those geopolitical or those social or those human sort of sides of of climate change in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that very interesting, um, especially because I feel like I had a very poor understanding of current events when I was in um, grade school. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was fairly knowledgeable about things that happened 100, 200 years ago. And I like, and I don't think it's, um, that's bad. I think it is important to, to know the history of, of our societies and civilizations. But I, I do wish there was more connections into what we were dealing with today. And I wish I had a chance to be more informed about those topics. I remember being in high school when, well, throughout dealing with the ramifications of the housing market collapse and in December of 2007 and throughout 2008 in the United States and um, that kind of snowballing itself into things like Occupy Wall Street when I was in uh, high school and having that really shape, um, I guess, why I was interested in economics and why I was interested in uh, those topics because they were so prevalent in the media. And so I I think it's very interesting that you bring up that the media is inundated with climate, climate crisis stories these days and is that shaping um, the current generation of youth to be more engaged in those issues? And is the education system failing to kind of satiate that demand that um, that's going to generate? And, you know, I don't think everyone going through high school is going to become passionately engaged in climate action. But I think is one of the reasons for that because they don't know enough about it. And of those that are, you know, is the education system failing to meet uh, their, you know, what they want? sort of the key tension in education from what I have sort of gleaned or I guess my perspective and what I sort of hear at the post-secondary and at the secondary level, um, which is are we, okay, are you learning these things like math and biology or physics or whatever uh, because it's going to make you a good worker or are you learning it because it's going to make you a good citizen? So is it for your personal economic benefit or is it because you're part of a society and you'll need to contribute and be a member of it? And I think that, you know, climate change is an incredible example of where you can explore that, right? Or should you be learning about climate change because you might have a sweet green career out of it? Quite possibly. 
Does it challenge other existing economic structures or, you know, industries? Sure. Um, but he, that's not the only part of the puzzle. There's also this very real side of how do you be a good citizen and a good member of your society if some of your structures there are also collapsing or being challenged by climate change. I, I think there's a lot of merit to just learning things for the sake of knowing them and they'll find they'll find a place to be relevant in your life when that happens. But yeah, that does kind of lead into like the third thing that I wish we focused or I wish I knew and I learned when I was in high school and that's the impacts of the climate crisis and what that means for you know, the province of Alberta, the nation of Canada, and for the global society as a whole. Um, and, I, you know, not only from a natural perspective of, you know, what happens if the if, if sea ice entirely melts and doesn't accumulate, and what happens if we lose our thermohaline circulation systems and, and whatnot, and how that it'll affect biodiversity. But The mechanics do, of the planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I did learn a bit about, but not in the context of climate crisis until I came to university and more courses here are focused on on that. And also like what's what's going to happen to our social structure when there are millions of climate refugees that need to be addressed around the world? What's going to happen when all of our most expensive real estate development that we've built along the coast is now incredibly endangered? So those social ramifications as well and and so I think those impacts are also that kind of crucial piece because we can we can teach students everything about what climate change is and why it's happening. But I think until we build that bridge between here is the global threat to here is how it affects you and how it affects us, that's the moment where it becomes relevant to deal with. Speaking back to the importance of our social studies and our English, you know, how do you understand other people? Well, you know, you're told to read books and read fiction and read novels to get in the head of someone else, to have empathy for them, to have understanding, or to have even the ability to consider someone else's lived experience. That's important to climate change. In our social studies, we're taught to think about other geo and political contexts. That's important to climate change. Those are the, the places where answers to what do we do when the weather and the climate become radically different from what we've ever known and have ever been able to predict, it's going to be people who respond to that, yeah. knowing who people are, knowing who your fellow people are, not just locally, but globally, are, is incredibly important, I think. I can understand where people are coming from when they talk about concerns with introducing climate change um, further into the curriculum. But I think what we need to remember is that knowledge itself isn't political but often becomes politicized and i think there's a lot of benefits to introducing that knowledge and letting out of giving people the information they require to be engaged in in their society that's dealing with an issue like this um so this has been sonic patel and elizabeth dowdell thanks for listening we'll see you next week on Terra Informa. We won't see you. It's a radio show. I don't know. What's a radio award for? A Grammy? No. Okay. Can we win a Grammy? You may be feeling a little defeated, maybe even angry, 
Fear not. There's still a second part to this miniseries. A hopeful part. Stay tuned next week to find out how youth are taking the reins on climate action and education, challenging the current system in place. This piece was inspired by a piece written by the Narwhal, an environmental news website. If you have any questions or comments about the show, don't hesitate to send us an email, tara at cjsr.com, tweet us at Tara Informa, or check us out on Facebook. If you want to catch up on the latest environmental news, visit our website, terrainforma.ca. Thank you to all of our volunteers for helping out with this week's episode. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer-run, and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CJSR 88.5 FM. Consider a donation to your local radio station to keep independent journalism on the air. That's all the time we have for this week's show. I've been your host, Charlotte Thomason, and I hope you catch us next week right here on Terra Informa. I was nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh.